It's no secret the NFL has a problem with race. Think Colin Kaepernick. Think Brian Flores. But this isn't a new problem. It's one that started as far back as the 1930s, with a ban on Black players in the NFL, with a past that informs the present. Blackballed is a new miniseries podcast from The Ringer about the four men who broke the color barrier in football. I'm your host, Chelsea Stark-Jones. You can find Blackballed on The Ringer NFL feed. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. To trial by content. It's the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the Coliseum of Contentious Opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four nominee poll that will enter trial by content and decide the true answer for all time. Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez. Oh, hi, I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Neil Miller. Welcome back to Chaos Month, where in honor of a movie adaptation of a popular tabletop role-playing game, we're once again forcing things into pop culture podcast combat that might not have anything to do with each other. Dragons, we're pretty sure we know what those are when we see them, but dungeons seem to be contentious. This week's Rumble asks us to decide the best on-screen moment featuring a dungeon and or dragon. Don't worry if the boundaries aren't well-defined. We're going to try our best to rope off the playing field. But before we get into that, last week we tasked everyone with deciding the best movie about revenge. Joanna, how did we do? Listen, we did really well. People had a lot of thoughts and feelings about this. As As we predicted... Film Twitter was pretty torn up about these great options that we had. Um, Dave, Dave, your wonderful (laughs) submission of old boy uh, came in last with 14% of the vote. There was a whole section on Korean cinema that you very nicely seeded into that podcast. And I thought, here's here's Dave's time to shine. For you. But like, I will say I saw the most outrage in the like Twitter mentions at how poorly old boy was performing. Like the the Twitter audio like who cared about your your 
film really cared. And they yeah, were concerned the people who have that seen people old boy is yeah, I guess. And they were concerned that people thought maybe they were voting for like the shitty American or the not as good American remake. Okay. Third place, the prestige listener Annie submitted that one, just slightly edging you out, like 14.8% of the vote. Um a lot of love for the prestige in our mentions. Uh, in second place, and I genuinely thought he was going to take this with the walk, was uh, Neil Miller's John Wick entry with 30.1% of the vote, let's say. Um, but coming in first is yours. I didn't I didn't think I was going to win, but 40% of the vote. Kill Bill. The champion of the bros. Yeah, I'm I'm the bros of them all. It's QT and me all the way. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Kill Bill. The bride has her vengeance. Um, John Wick Four. People seem to really like it. What's our, What's our? I still haven't seen it. I've I've been told by friend of the pod, my Ringerverse colleague Van Lathan, that Bill Skarsgård is like the handsomest man that has ever existed in John Wick Four. I mean, agree he's or, got really nice suits. If that yeah, was what was he, missing, he's from, yeah, extremely well dressed. The accent is something. Because uh, he's he's, oh. he's going French. Uh, yeah, he's, he's oh. the Marquis. So you might you might enjoy that oh. element of Bill Skarsgård. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think I may have levitated and achieved some sort of action movie nirvana in my seat watching John Wick Four and IMAX. Like you put Donnie Yen and Scott Adkins and Marco Zoror in a movie where Keanu Reeves is gonna be Sisyphus in his heroic bloodletting quest. It's I loved it. I loved every second of it. I think not since uh, Mad Max Fury Road, and maybe it didn't actually meet that, but that's the the best uh, idea I could have. Is just like as it's going on, you're like, "Holy shit, this is working!" And it's still going, and it's still escalating, uh, even though it is the longest John Wick. Uh, it it is a very very good John Wick. I it's a landmark action film. I think uh, if those things appeal to you, check it out. Um, I'm really excited. I'm definitely going to go see it. I, I, this is not any sort of like protest. I'm excited to see it. I just haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm really excited to see John Wick 4. Um, I have seen Dungeons and Dragons, which is uh, the movie that has inspired today's uh, watch. Before we get into Dungeons and Dragons, I just want to do a quick Nicolas Cage cage match update. We asked last the end of last week's pod for your submissions for the upcoming multi-week Nicolas Cage match, Trial Royale. Uh, episodes that we're going to do. We are currently formulating the bracket based on your submissions. So we do not have our, we think it's going to be eight. We might stretch it. There's a lot of good submissions. Um, There's a lot. I'm just going to let you know what's definitely in and what's probably in. And you can still email us trialbycontent at gmail.com if you want to sway the uh, submissions one way or another. Definitely, I will just say, I will be surprised if anything unseats this. Definitely in. National Treasure, Moonstruck. We got so many submissions for those. M- more submissions for Moonstruck, I think, in the end of the day than National Treasure, which surprised me. So that's great to know. Face Off, The Rock, Con Air, Adaptation, and Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent also got a ton of submissions. So those, like, that's seven. We're at minimum going to do eight. So there's a wild card spot currently up for grabs. And also, if you write in, you might bump one of these other ones off the list. So... That's the cage state of cage right now. Um, anything you guys want to add to cage match update? I can't corner? believe National Treasure is that far <laughs> at the top. I 
I am the podcast listeners. You might not be familiar with this, but I watched it for the first time at the urging of these two fine people. I, I, I don't get national treasures, so it's going to be an uphill battle. Okay, let's <laughs> let's let's walk it back and say this is not an ideal circumstance for you to watch National Treasure. It was like I feel like it was locked down, or maybe not yet locked down. We did it over Zoom. You were like by yourself. I don't think you had had enough. Colorado legal, uh, you know, herbal <laughs> supplements. I think I think we can turn your mind around on National Treasure. We can find the All right, right vibe for Dave. All right. American Dan Brown thriller. What's, what's give his, his name in it? Benjamin Franklin Gates. The character's name. Oh my name. god. Oh <laughs> my god. <laughs> well, here's Ruth, the thing. Rutherford B. Gates. I don't know. <laughs> the great thing about a trial royale is it's not just us making this it is you guys so <laughs> i if i respect the choice of the listeners and uh put put something great in that wild card uh slot by emailing us at trialbycontent at gmail.com yeah i would urge folks to di- we need to dig a little deeper i'm not seeing enough wild at heart i'm not seeing enough raising arizona i'm not seeing enough of those deep older nick cage cuts I'll be surprised if Raising Arizona isn't the final slot. We'll see. Sure. It's it's, it's a good high one. up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He takes his face off. Off. The <laughs> National Treasure Hive, I will just say, is very strong among our listenership. I was surprised not only by the volume, but the passion of the emails we got about National Treasure. So that's... I mean, again, I was also surprised, but for reasons I'm sure we'll go into... <laughs> Week one of cage match. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So, and then also, if you want to include in your cage match emails, we're trying to figure out how to name these brackets. Currently, we have like action cage and like serious cage. Neil suggested silly cage. Like there's weird cage. We're trying to figure out how to how to name our brackets. We'll see. But I, I think action cage is... Definitely. There's be. caged and uncaged. Yeah, caged and uncaged. That's, a, that's great. Okay. Um, all right. D movie. I saw it at opening night at South by. Dave saw it in a press screener. Neil has yet to see it, but we'll see it eventually. Um, because who can resist the siren song of Chris Pine? For those who don't know, this is a a film from John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein who made the great film Game Night, which we all really, or I really like and Neil really likes. I don't know about Dave. Um, and were writers on one of the Spider-Man films. And John Francis Daly uh, got his start on the show Freaks and Geeks, which you may or may not have seen. Great, phenomenal uh, TV series. Start of a lot of people's careers. And did you guys see the promo that they put out with... Uh, Martin Starr and, and Sam. I did, yeah. They aged, yeah. aged up uh, Freaks and Geeks promo. They just had like Martin, <laughs> Martin. I mean, James Franco was not invited, but Martin Starr and Sam Levine. Uh, you know, they got the party back together. There's a great D and D episode of Freaks and Geeks that I heartily recommend you guys check out. Um, but this is uh, a, a a co-production with Hasbro, so this is definitely like in promotion of D&D in addition to being like a fun film that imitates a campaign of D&D would you agree with that Dave uh i i think this is a great just introduction to what the tabletop game is without people so like of the times D&D's been represented in fiction 
you have the first Dungeons and Dragons movie where Jeremy Irons understood the assignment and nobody else did. Uh, <laughs> you have uh, stuff like Freaks and Geeks or uh, Stranger Things, uh, which is sort of alluring, but isn't really using the game as much as it's using the language of the game and the representation of what it means to uh, bring together a whole bunch of geeks and create your own community. And then you have things like Critical Role or and other Let's Plays where you get to actually watch them do live plays. And I think this is like a really good selling point for playing the game because it is almost episodic in nature. Uh, it has a lot of beats of a campaign uh, in the correct order, just assembled into a movie form. So usually in like the introduction uh, your first session of a campaign, all the characters sort of sit around and tell each other the backstories that we have to be aware of. This movie starts off with all of the backstories, so we feel like we're thrown into a pre-existing world. And then it just abides by all the rules of a uh, tabletop role-playing session without really exposing those rules uh, to the viewer of the movie. So you could watch this if you just like brightly colored fantasy that isn't about like Game of Thrones, like peasantry stuff, and you'll be just fine. But if you've ever played D&D, there will be moments where you're like, that's an accurate representation of failing a dexterity roll. Leo, Leo <laughs> pointing meme. I saw it with our friend um, Seth. Seth, and um, he is a D&D guy. And so like at the end, he's like, that part, that part was like that, super D&D. And I have like dabbled in D&D. So we should say our qualifications are Dave like actively plays D&D is a dungeon master. Correct, Dave? Yeah, can be can be a dungeon master. Can yes. be a dungeon master. Dungeon master DM is the person who like writes the game and controls the gameplay. Um I have dabbled lightly in D&D. Um a lot of people who know me like are sure I must be a huge D&D player. I'm not mostly because of math, but um <laughs> I know how it is played and I have played it and I have enjoyed it. And then Neil Miller, what's your uh, what's your D&D story and experience? I was thinking about this the other day because I've I've can't say that I've ever played D&D, been part of a fellowship of that kind. And honestly, I've never actually been invited to play D&D. I've uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm obviously Shame. Not, Shame not on all of Austin, Texas. Dungeon Master, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's weird to be a 39-year-old human and say, maybe I haven't found my people yet, but uh, here we are. <laughs> all right. Well, if you if you have a campaign and you would like to invite Neil Miller to join your D&D campaign, uh, yeah. trial by content at Gmail. I almost said Hobbits and Dragons. Trial by content at gmail.com <laughs> is where you can invite Neil to play d or invite him on Twitter. Sure, you know, sure. Sometimes I go him. on Twitter. Yeah, it's I, it's wild because I I think it would be my kind of thing, but I have never run across a situation where somebody's like, "Hey, do you want to join this this long form D and D thing?" I probably would have said yes. So there you are. The film in question is a campaign with a with a fellowship, um, if you want to call them that, led by Chris Pine's character, um, Darvis, who's a bard. And he's like the leader of of the the group here. Michelle Rodriguez is playing a barbarian. Reggie Jean Page is playing a paladin. Justice Smith is playing a sorcerer. Sophia Lillis is playing a tiefling druid. Tiefling, tiefling. It's right. It's tiefling, right, Dave? Um, yeah, tiefling druid. Tiefling druid. And then Hugh Grant, who is our villain, is a is a rogue. And then there's also a a red a bad wizard, an evil wizard. Um, and so yeah, so if you these are like 
the roles one can have in a DOD campaign and um, the bardness of Chris Pine, I think especially like comes through. I think the barbarian and the bard are the two like best defined um, except Michelle Rodriguez's character is smarter than your typical barbarian in a D&D campaign. Um, Dave just made a eh, face to that. <laughs> <laughs> this is an audio podcast, Dave. You yeah. have to voice your opinion. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to I didn't want to necessarily <laughs> challenge you because you're correct, but also not not always. Not always. Hashtag not all barbarians. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I think. Um, it ha- it captures a lot of the fun of game night. It is like a solid like B plus for me. It's not like an A category. I don't know that I need to like rush to see it again. But if they made a second one, I would go see it. Um, I think Pine is having so much fun, and every and this is I'm stealing this from Seth. Every time Pine is having fun, I'm having fun. Every time Hugh Grant is having fun, I'm having fun. And they both seem to be having a lot of fun. Um, it is over two hours, which I think is wildly unnecessary for a D and D movie. I think if it had been like ninety minutes. Uh, this could have been a great movie. And I also think there's just like a few too many massive CGI sequences that like didn't really impress me that much. But Dave, you're our CGI expert. How did you feel about the big action sequences of the of the film? Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't mind them so much when they were either completely practical or completely CGI, because then I think they play with each other a little bit uh, more. Uh, but there were some sort of melding where they obviously had some stuff on set but then obviously couldn't do other things and I think that sort of so shows some seams but like I can't overemphasize how just having a positive outlook on a fantasy universe uh, lets you get away with a whole bunch of like silly shit so like there's like some not great CGI of like rising pillars and yes. whatnot. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. At, at that point, I kind of didn't care because I'm like, oh, that's a displacer beast. So it was, you know, I, I was I was fully in it by that point. But yeah, I also agree that it's like a little smidge too long. Uh, but that is what happens when you try to contain an entire campaign where you have to find a magical item to help you with the heist and then wrap up all your character th- lines, storylines. So I I feel it. I'm just so happy once again when I could see sort of like a legitimate nerdiness that I used to be involved with, like up on the screen. I think that was like a, a little bit more forgiving with stuff like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Because I'm just like, oh, we got a goo person on screen. If I would have asked for a goo person in the 90s, everyone would have laughed at me. They would have been like, oh, like a flubber dude? Like, So I'm just happy we're at the point where these like pure versions of the, the really nerdy stuff is, is making it to screen in a way that is fun. But a lot of Chris Pine. I, I do. I mean, really fun. I do want to um, throw one thing in uh, Neil's direction that I think, even without seeing the movie, you can understand Neil, which is like Michelle Rodriguez punches so many people, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so fun <laughs> to watch her do like way more than the Fast and the Furious. There's just like so much. She's got a massive fuck off axe, and she's just like punching and kicking and and you know dominating throughout the whole thing it's really really fun I love that for her she did you're right she does not get to do enough punching in the fast and furious franchise uh, and uh yeah no i mean that's what i'm here for a little fantasy action little uh some some big weird stuff i'm told that there is a, a thick dragon of some kind he's super yeah. thick it's super thick i don't want to gender the pudgy dragon <laughs> sure so I'm, you know, you, all you had to say to me was Pudgy Dragon, and I'm there. Also, I can't wait to learn 
uh, about D and D. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's a whole bunch of uh, that they don't really explain everything as much if it's not key to an action scene, but it does have uh, probably the best depiction we could ever hope to get of a druid's wild shape ability in a, like a one-shot escape scene of just this uh, tiefling druid turning into different types of animals. Awesome. Yeah, it was really uh, fun. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. fun. And um, Regajon Page uh, is not in enough of the movie, I would say. Um, but the whole shtick of his character is that he's like too perfect and mm-hmm. he plays it like beautifully. <laughs> like it's really fun. He plays it like someone who's been that handsome his entire life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, Dave, what do you want to say about Sword Coast? Oh, it's on the Sword Coast. That's the sword I was saying about it being recognizable to D&D players, but not in your face for, for newbies. It's like all these locations are pretty recognizable to me in the map after they uh, like right after the opening sequence uh, that takes place in like a snowy castle. They zoom out to the map and I was like, ah, and I was like remembering things that my actual parties had done in that part of the map. And uh, the the red wizards uh, and whatnot are all uh, recognizable things. So just like I'm very I'm very happy with the uh, balance between Easter egg, uh, but also an Easter egg that we don't have to stop and necessarily uh, take a lot of story time to do. Dave, before we leave this section and move into a contentious debate about the definition of a dungeon, um, I was wondering, since you're the DM among us, like which kind of D&D character, like how would you cast the three of us? Ooh, that's a, that's a little tough. I think um, Joanna Which of us is the bard. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a good question. I uh, uh, I think Joanna, you could uh, be a, a. I think you might be the druid amongst us. Uh, just in terms of, I think you could both be strong in combat, uh, but also with healing, and uh, you could maybe join a group like the Emerald Enclave and be really beneficial to them. Uh, Neil, you I think would be a, a grappling-based halfling. Oh, so right. you're small. <laughs> you're small. You're close to the ground, but if you get Always close to, to you, small. you're just like you're you're screwed. You just grab onto a person <laughs> and absolutely pummel them, or allow the the party uh, to pummel them. I feel like I my. My my taste in the macabre vision of life, plus uh, my enjoyment of the dragonborn uh, portrayal in the actual movie, I think I'd have to be a dragonborn sorcerer. Uh, that sort of helps with the incantations, but also you can't trust him. You can't let me have the bag of holding. That would probably be Joanna or Neil. Yeah, shifty sorcerer sounds about right to me. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> Love that for us. And Collis you- is our bard. Oh, I love that. Right. If you agree or disagree with Dave's uh Dave's choices there, trialbyconta.gmail.com or you can tweet at us. All right. Now this brings us to a section of the podcast we didn't anticipate having when we decided to do a Dungeons and <laughs> or Dragons episode, which is that we are going to be trying to define what a dungeon was. This is a continuation of a conversation we had last week when it turns out that Joanna, who has dabbled in D&D, Neil, who has not been invited to D&D, shame, Austin, Texas, and Dave, a bona fide dungeon master, have different definitions of what a dungeon is. Dave is leaning a bit more 
strictly in the sense of and dragons and Neil and Joanna are leaning more towards what we've seen in television and film. Uh, because as far as I know, Neil, we've never experienced a dungeon in real life, right? Um, yeah, it depends on your definition. I've been to a really dank prison uh, that that uh, in in Ohio. There's one. Did you ever see that Lil Wayne video where he's? I think it's uh, the Hey DJ video. It was shot at a prison in Mansfield. I've been to that prison. People say it's haunted, so it's kind of dungeon like. And uh, not not in use at the moment. It's like an old dilapidated prison. So maybe? I've been in the catacombs underneath Edinburgh. There's like a series of catacombs underneath That's there. That's very dungeon And then I had to leave because it was too dungeon-y for me. Like I left the tour. <laughs> My friends were still on it. I was like, I will meet you topside. I don't want to be down here anymore. So um, that's and I've done I've an escape room in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got some we got a lot of listener emails that chose to define what a dungeon is for us. So we're going to take them one by one. And some of these emails will you will hear other parts of them later in this episode because we just extracted some dungeon definitions for you. All right. The first one comes from Pat, who is taking Pat, longtime listener of all of our podcasts we've ever done, um, is taking the the and dragons view, right? So Pat says, I'll take a moment to support Dave's assertion that dungeon should mean something other than simply prison. In classic tabletop role playing, where the podcast contest prompt ultimately comes from because the OG RPG Dungeons and Dragons inspired the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons movie, which inspired this contest prompt. Okay. Dungeon, quote-unquote, Pat writes, was a shorthand descriptor for, usually, an underground adventuring location. Sometimes it was some infernal incarceration area, sure, but more often than not, it was just a tunnel complex filled with local monsters that had to be cleared out or was housing some relic that was needed by adventurers. Dave, I know how you feel about this. Neil, how do you feel about Pat's description of a dungeon here? Well, listen, I just feel like this is one of them. Um... Because this is not what I think of when I think of dungeon. When I think of dungeon, I think of a a ruler of some municipality, some sort of king or queen or lady or lord saying, send them to the dungeon. <laughs> it's where people are kept. It's it, it it there is there has in my mind there has to be some sort of imprisonment, not necessarily just a play a, a smelly place where you have to go find some treasure. Joel writes, and Joel is backing Pat and Dave up, and Joel writes, as far as dungeons go, the definition of a dungeon in the D&D sense of the word is different from its real-life use. They are not just underground prisons. Basically, in D&D, they are gauntlets, dangerous, forbidden places with deadly obstacles that our heroes must solve in order to reach the reward on the other side. Think of the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981, as your prototypical D&D dungeon. Dave, do you agree with that? Uh, Yeah. So here's, I decided to turn to the Dungeon Master's Guide. (laughs) (laughs) And it may surprise you how wide the definition of dungeons is. Uh, Let's, uh, I'll read two little sections here. The first one sort of defines in the game of D&D the difference between a dungeon and something else. Uh, Within a dungeon, adventurers are constrained by walls and doors around them, but in the wilderness, adventurers can travel in almost any direction they please. Therein lies the key difference between a dungeon and the wilderness. It's much easier to predict where the adventuring party might go in a dungeon because the options are limited, less so in the wilderness. So from the person making the game, dungeon is just placed with walls that I can funnel (laughs) them into encounters. 
<laughs> Specifically, the first paragraph of the dungeon section says, some dungeons are old strongholds abandoned by the folk who built them. Others are natural caves or weird layers called, carved out by foul monsters. They attract evil cults, monster tribes, and reclusive creatures. Dungeons are also home to ancient treasures, coins, gems, magic items, and other valuables hidden away in the darkness, often guarded by traps or jealously kept by the monsters that have collected them. So that's what D&D considers a dungeon, which is basically a place with walls. All right. Um, Somewhere that is inside that makes you feel uncomfortable <laughs> that also may have some treasure. Mm-hmm. And monsters. And monsters. And monsters. Yeah. Um, last but not least. Yeah, why isn't the game called Treasure or Monsters? Uh, maybe I would play Treasures and Monsters faster than I would play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, last but not least, we got this email from, um, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's pronounced Mika, um, like the singer. Maybe it is Mika the singer who wrote, um, Merriam-Webster states that the word dungeon comes from the French word donjon, which also gives our English word dungeon, meaning an inner tower in a castle. This is in favor of using Beauty and the Beast, which, spoiler alert, did not make it into the debate. (laughs) Mika writes, the beast locks Maurice, which is Belle's dad, up in a tower in his castle. Therefore, Beauty and the Beast has a dungeon. As further evidence, I've included a picture of Disney's wonderful world of reading Beauty and the Beast book, which plainly states that Maurice was sent to a dungeon. I can't the confirm. Ball, the memorable ballroom scene seamlessly combines it. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, up a tower, according to both Disney and Mika, is also a dungeon. So, here's what I'm going to say. Guess what? For this debate, the umbrella of dungeon is wide and broad. <laughs> is it a sex dungeon? Sure. Whatever it is. We're going to talk about it. So, uh, except with a few exceptions, which we will get to. But uh, this has been Dungeon Definition with Dave, Neil, and Joanna. I like, is it as if it's a sex dungeon? Sure, was the only example. So then now I have to be like, man, remember that one time we looted the sex dungeon after defeating the. Anyway, never mind. It's yeah, yeah. you wouldn't want to like steal a I, bunch of like people's underwear or something like I that. Guess yeah. what, that would be, that'd be very un D. I guess what you're saying, though, is that like Rapunzel would count. As All right, being that's in a, a tower, though. I feel like a, there needs to be a difference between a tower and a dank, drippy. How many windows dungeon. are too many windows for a dungeon? One. One? <laughs> yeah. Not even one. So a windowless indoor space with treasure and monsters that makes you feel uncomfortable. And somewhere there is dripping water, but we cannot find the dripping water. (laughs) We can't find it. There are chains. They may or may not be actively restraining you, but they are there. You know what I mean? Like giant rings somehow. (laughs) Giant rings. (laughs) Driven into the stonework. Okay. Last part of my section today, which is if you could own slash ride slash be best pals with one on-screen dragon, who would it be? And I just I decided own own by itself is not great because oftentimes we don't like to own creatures. We just like to chill with them. We're all about consent and autonomy. Even for dragons. <laughs> Dave Gonzalez, what's your pick for this category? I'm taking the animated Puff the Magic Dragon, who, you know, if you remember the cartoon, has a secret power of, of revealing your innermost desires to you. So it'd be nice to actually know what I was doing. But more importantly, he could build a boat out of household objects that could take me to the magical land of Hanalee whenever I get depressed. Um. All right. Little Jackie Paper, uh, Dave Gonzalez, um, Neil Miller. <laughs> What's your pick? 
Well, mine is a slightly different vibe. I feel like Dave's is like, we're going to chill and talk about our innermost desires. Mm-hmm. And just those two things. Not smoke anything at all. <laughs> Not nope. smoke anything at all. <laughs> but if I was to have a dragon, I mean, there, I have two answers. My real answer is, of course, my pick for the debate. So save that in your mind. But however, if you were to just give me a dragon in my real life, it would be Granny War Crimes herself, <laughs> Vagar. Because wouldn't you just, especially at this point in the world, wouldn't you just love to have a giant dragon to ride around on? And uh, <laughs> Who are maybe you do some revenge. First? Who are you flaming first, Neil? Who am I flaming first? Yeah. I don't know if I should say that on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the Texas legislature should be, yeah. on, be on the I, lookout. I, I already live close to some bad people, so it wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't, we wouldn't have to go very far. Uh, it would be a local journey. All right. Um, my pick is uh, Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. We had a couple emails submitting uh, to the first flight sequence with Toothless as the best on-screen dun- dragon moment. And I apologize. It did not make the debate today, but I want to shout out Toothless. Anytime I ever post a photo of my cat online, someone always comments Toothless because my black cat with the green eyes does look very similar to Dragon Toothless, which is a very cat-like Dragons, and we can we will discuss whether dragons are cats or dragons are dogs. Oh, I think oh. they can be either, <laughs> but this is a very cat like uh, dragon toothless, and I'm a big fan. So, yeah, Night Fury. Toothless. We could decide if cats are or are, are dogs or dragons with a roll of a d20 here. We could just, just let's see if it's it's a if it's a if it's above ten. It's cats. Otherwise, it's dragons. Hey, guess what? It's dogs. Dogs. Dragons are dogs. The D20 <laughs> spoken. Um, I will return to the subject later. We'll take that Neil as a win, personally. <laughs> take it away. All right. So now that we've defined what it is to be a dungeon. <laughs> yeah, we did a great a job. Dragon. We did a great job. Good job, everyone. <laughs> Moving on. Donjon. I just want to say donjon. Donjon. My, my shitty French accent. <laughs> Uh, we are going to, of course, be debating, I guess we're calling this the best on-screen moment featuring a dungeon and or dragon, but there will be further clarification as we go along. But before we get to all that, we got to dismiss some things, uh, including some nice tries and some toughest cuts. Uh, let's start with our toughest cuts. These, these are some good ones. Uh, these are each week is the best candidate that we had to leave out of the bay, basically a second uh, for for your faithful hosts here, let's start with Dave. Dave, what was your toughest cut this week? Uh my toughest cut this week was a dragon. Um, I really enjoy, in terms of special effects, dragon fights. Uh, the fight um, in Dragon Slayer, where Vermithrax pejorative uh, has to defend its young, uh, but it comes up against a Peter McNichols that has the correct armor to to fight him back. <laughs> uh, so I, I really love that sequence. I think uh, making that movie gave us a bunch of what would eventually become Willow, and it's just some amazing go-motion uh, visual effects work that uh, really doesn't stand the test of time, but looks so good, I, you kind of don't mind. Is Peter McNichol like the most unlikely, like... Dragon fantasy Slayer. film lead <laughs> pretty much but, I I mean, love him, but yeah. like yeah so it's, it's a it's a very particular choice i think he does a great job but a lot it's of very 
Schlemmer's the beginning of that yeah. movie is a very particular choice. Uh, Neil, what did you pick? Well, Dave, like many of our listeners, I came very close to succumbing to the siren song of the Nice Dry Award. Uh, <laughs> I almost took Bruce Lee in the film Enter the Dragon. <laughs> because Ooh, I would have said. He is, he is a dragon himself. And mostly because I just love the sequence uh, in the, the House of Mirrors uh, at the end of that movie. It's just one of the great action sequences of all time. And honestly, when I think of dragons, there are a couple like actual, you know, wyvern style dragons that I think of. Uh, but I also immediately always think of Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon, Way of the Dragon. He is a dragon in my mind. If, if there was a human who has ever come close to becoming a dragon, it is Bruce Lee. So uh, he's he was not he was Danny, my not Danny Rand? No, no, just Bruce <laughs> Lee. <laughs> Uh, Joanna, I-, I believe yours is is more of an actual dragon, though. Well, he's a luck dragon, uh, and he, you know, he's he's dragonish, dragon like. I will say, I think dragons can be both dogs or cats, and this dragon is definitely a dog. Falcor, the never ending story, and when uh, Bastion breaks down the walls between fantasy world and real life he rides falcor the dragon at the end of the, of the film to fuck up some 80s bullies and they jump into a dumpster uh and then you like get a good old-fashioned like fist thrown in the air yeah <laughs> moment from bastion falcor so um so yeah uh, stranger things wishes um they had falcor <laughs> also i think falcor is probably the only one of these dragons. I mean, there are several dungeons that we're going to talk about you could probably visit in real life, but uh, Falcor, you can actually visit. They still have him in, isn't it Germany? They still have yeah, the, they have a, the they? Exhibit where you can go sit on Falcor. I want to go see Falcor. I mean, who wouldn't is the Okay, question. pod trip to Germany. <laughs> right? To go we'll see podcast Falcor. from Falcor. Yeah, from yeah. Falcor. <laughs> Live on the back of Falcor. <laughs> Um, all right, so that brings us to some, as I mentioned, I almost got in on the Nice Try Awards this week, but many of our listeners had already had us very well covered on this, uh, especially dungeon-related. Top-tier top Nice Try Awards this week, honestly. <laughs> yeah, so much so that we have given them sub-awards. We, have, we are going to give a crown and a clown to the Nice Try Awards. Let's start with the Nice Try Awards crown, which comes to us from an email from listener Gabe, who writes, quote, we both have urges. Satisfying mine requires more towels. Ooh. So says <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård in 2011's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. The setting, a dungeon by all definitions. The captive, <laughs> one Daniel Craig. Yes, the Swedish versions are better, but at least we get a Skarsgård in this one and a Craig. This is the best scene involving a dungeon and a dragon for a few reasons. First, the sheer evil dripping from Skarsgård's delivery as he taunts Daniel Craig's character. Second, Craig's sweaty torture acting is what sells the desperation of the scene. Nobody gets sweaty tortured quite like Daniel Craig. Remember that (laughs) old rope knot slapped to the balls in Casino Royale? (laughs) I almost forgot, Gabe, but... Thank you for reminding me. Uh, and finally, of course, the dragon. Rooney Mara's Lisbeth Salander shows up right on time, dragon tattoo and all to save the day. A dungeon, a dragon. What more could you want? Gabe, this is 
exactly what I was hoping for <laughs> for the Nice Try Awards this week. Isn't which, that also the scene with Enya, with the Enya drop, needle that drop? That might be. I mean, That's a sex drag. To be clear, that is a sex dungeon and a dragon tattoo. Yes. A mm-hmm. sex dungeon <laughs> and a dragon tattoo. Yeah, but I technically does fulfill all of, it. all of the, yes. uh, the prompts here. Uh, for the clown, and we mean this in the, the sweetest, nicest possible way, uh, we have this email from Quinton, who says, I was feeling galvanized by Dave's call for some solid dungeon representation, so naturally, I brought the question of the best movie scene of a dungeon to my D&D group. I think we landed on a particularly excellent contender, which I'd now like to submit for your consideration. (laughs) But first, my definition due diligence as it pertains to a game or movie of D&D, we're defining a dungeon as, quote, a limited space with defined boundaries within which a party of adventurers must navigate traps and hazards to complete a goal. Mm -hmm. Dungeon Master's Guide says thumbs up on that. Yeah, all right. So we've confirmed that's true. Based on that definition, which is notably absent from most of Joanna's requirements, i.e. chains, must be underground, etc. But let us ignore that for one moment. I feel that a strong case could and will right now be made for Home Alone as the movie (laughs) that has the best scene involving a dungeon. The scene, obviously, is the one at the end in which our adventuring party, the Wet Bandits, (laughs) <laughs> attempt to enter and navigate the McAllister house in their quest to find, trap, and torture their sworn enemy, Kevin McAllister. <laughs> what they find is a dungeon full of booby traps, treacherous terrain, dangerous creatures, tarantula, and a foe far more cunning than they gave him credit for, given the fact that he is literally a child. Does this movie ignore almost all of Joanna's dungeon criteria? Absolutely, it does. Nevertheless, somehow Kevin McAllister turned a very fancy suburban home into a torture house featuring a truly impressive traps-to-square-footage ratio, (laughs) grievously injuring his enemies, who are doing some pretty terrible dungeon crawling, by the way, in the process, and I feel that it deserves some recognition. One day, he will undoubtedly make a fine dungeon master. Also, there is some action in the basement, and that is underground, and probably at least a bit dank. So, thank you. Quinton, I appreciate your tiny concession towards my underground dank <laughs> qualifications at the <laughs> right. end of your email here. Come all the way back around to agree with Joanna. Great, yeah. great email. So yeah, Home Alone. Um, listen, this isn't going to make the debate, but I agree with the it's logic. So <laughs> genuinely delightful. And like, thank you to Quentin and the, uh, the D&D group for this. <laughs> and, and honestly, I, this, this reframes Kevin McAllister in a way that like, what if Kevin grew up to become a dungeon master because of all of his experiences with his booby tramps? It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's Follow pretty Kevin, Mista- Kevin McAllister antagonist check in. <laughs> I would like to watch a remake of Home Alone where the wet bandits are the heroes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like a real Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but it's the wet bandits. <laughs> yeah. So Home Alone, that, that had to be. What are even- Pesci and Stern doing? Can we get them back? <laughs> <laughs> um, easily the most inspired choice. A uh, couple of other ones that I thought were really fun. Uh, someone wrote in about the Breakfast Club. Uh, being being a dungeon. I guess it's just, you know, if you're trapped. Um, yeah, that's just trapped. Yeah, that's just trapped. And then uh, this one I liked, a little bit more recent flavor, which is Misty's Basement from the television show Yellow Jackets, which is currently I airing on the Showtime Paramount Plus family of networks. Um, so that's a good one. So those are our 
really nice tries this week. Just deeply proud of all of our listeners who wrote in for those. Sex dungeon and a dragon tattoo. Sex dungeon and a dragon tattoo. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So a couple more that we need to dismiss. I've got uh, a couple for each category of dragons and or dungeons. So a few dragon related movies that you will not hear us discuss in this debate. Uh, One that we mentioned last week. Reign of Fire, which includes Matthew McConaughey and an axe jumping at a dragon who eats ash. It's a great movie. It's maybe the best retelling of Star Wars is in that movie. And uh, it's sad that we didn't have room for it, but everybody should watch Reign of Fire if you haven't. So Reign of Fire not making it. Also not making it, a dragon voiced by Sean Connery, the lost of his kind. Uh, I am the lost one. <laughs> That is the movie Dragonheart. How many do you, how many sequels did they make to Dragonheart? Aren't there like four oh, or five sequels? Like, I feel like it's eight. It's like so many. Yeah, we it's just, like we the land before this. time. Yeah. But like with live action dragon. <laughs> so Dragonheart, unfortunately, did not rise to the occasion here. Honestly, for a lot of these dragon related movies that are being dismissed, it was really tough to squeeze them in to all of the dungeons that we're going to be discussing. So uh, that's something to think about. You guys went real dungeon heavy on this uh, (laughs) particular prompt. Everyone heard Dave's message last week and came to his Yes, let it ring out for weeks more. (laughs) Bring me your dungeons. Uh, And one last uh, dragon movie that we would uh, be remiss because, of course, Benedict Cumberbatch contorted his face and body in ways that humans were not known to up until that point in order to provide (laughs) reference for Smaug in The Hobbit, (laughs) The Desolation of Smaug, uh, in which Martin Freeman comes up against uh, a really cool looking dragon. I think of of all of, of the many CGI dragons of the century, Smaug does look pretty cool and he lives on a pile of gold which i can respect um in a dnd dungeon yeah, i might also in a dungeon out. so desolation of smog another one that we are sad to say is not going to make it all right so let's let's now eliminate some dungeons <laughs> and you would say riddles in the dark is also a dungeon situation dave yeah, because it's uh, uh, by the Dungeon Master Guides thing. It's a layer that was carved out by a foul monster that is used to keep his treasures. Okay. This is not our last Lord of the Rings conversation, so I'm going to save some of this for later. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm going to ask you right now, Dave. Yeah. What the fuck is the difference between a cave and a dungeon in your warped view of the world and how words work? If there are uh, monsters uh, and uh, like adventure in that cave by like traps or treasure, uh, then it would be a dungeon, not a cave. Why would you call a cave a dungeon when it's just a cave? Because we're doing. Pat laid it out perfectly. This is all through the the lens of Dungeons and Dragons. Why debate best dungeon and or dragon <laughs> if not through the lens of a combat encounter? Home Alone wasn't that far off uh, by technical definition. Um, can I can I ask a question about caves and dungeons that might clar- help clarify? At what point does a cave become a dungeon? Is it when you put a door on the cave? No, you don't even need to have a fucking door, according to Dave. You just need to have like a monster or a treasure or adventure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, if it doesn't have a door, I think that's just a cave. So if it's like, if, you, if you're if walking by and you're like, that's a cave, and then I flip like one solitary gold doubloon in there, does that now become a dungeon? Did I just transform it into a dungeon? I mean, aren't you just like describing 
the cave at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark that Joel pointed out is technically a dungeon? No, it already has the idol in it. Yeah, it is. But it's also and just boob- a cave. And booby traps galore. Yeah, no, and it's just a cave. don't usually have booby traps. And maybe one or two doors. I don't remember very accurately. <laughs> I don't think so. It's like vines. <laughs> <laughs> if it didn't have any booby traps but did have a monster, then it still meets my definition. It oh, just has needs to have terrible. some sort of adventure in there. Terrible disrespect to the English language. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all our right. podcast already. So there... <laughs> uh, all right. So let's let's dismiss a few dungeons. Uh, because this this is where it'll get weirder, I'm sure. Uh, first one, this one it was really close to getting in because it's a very inspired choice. It is, of course, the movie Saw, in which Carrie Elwes, a man who has acted in many a dungeon, ends up uh, being placed in a play in a, in an enclosed space where he must choose whether or not to chop off one of his limbs. Is and... the fire swamp a dungeon? No, that's not contained. Is the dungeon the pit of despair in the fire? No, it's past the fire swamp. I think the pit of the despair is a dungeon. The pit of the despair is a dungeon. You go down a tree. Yeah, that, it has th- a that door. place is definitely dank, <laughs> and there are chains. Yeah, it has a door that locks, even though it's in a tree. I mean, we're going to be finding out here that Joanne and I are not going to agree. So it's going to come down to the poll where you're going to have to vote on what you feel in your heart as a dungeon. <laughs> And I, we, I'm sure we will make it part of our arguments. Yes, sure, sure. But I, okay. So Saw is just two is two guys locked up in a basement. But that's a dungeon. That's dungeony. What right? is a? I mean, it's a it's a basement, but it. I mean, there are chains. So it's the it's and chains puzzles. that really bring the room together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Another another one that we have to dismiss is a film from 1985. It's got plenty of. Mapother Energy with Thomas Cruise, Mapother the Fourth. It is the film Legend, one of the all-time great uh, versions of Satan lives in this dungeon. I guess <laughs> <laughs> in the movie Legend, excellent film, highly recommend. Definitely a dungeon. Don't know if I don't think there's any dragons, but uh, there's evil shit going on in there. It's fun. We also got several emails about the TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, I believe you're all familiar with this uh, this concept. Buffy herself has gone into dungeons several times. Um, but I don't normally associate vampires with dun- with dungeons, I think. Well, in season one of Buffy Vampire Slayer, the, <laughs> the master, who is the oldest vampire, is trapped underground in a dank and drippy... One might call it a cave. It's the old vampires, the the Dracula generation mm. of vampires that live in the yeah. dungeons. Um, yeah. It was, you know, once we got into the '90s and the 2000s, they started living in the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, and in like the sewers and like stuff like that. But like, yeah, like straight out of Transylvania, right? If you've got a weird accent or like long fingernails, like you might <laughs> hang out in a dungeon. All right. So yeah. So uh, several emails for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Shout out. Um, and then my the final one is my favorite one, which we got several uh, emails about varying works from the films of Mel Brooks, who recently released uh, History of the World Part Two, uh, a Hulu series, I guess. Um, and but this is in support of, of course, Robin Hood Men in Tights has a really great dungeon sequence. History of the World Part One also has an amazing dungeon sequence. And this email uh, we got from Michael, I would like to read. Uh, Michael says, the best movie scene featuring a dungeon is one nobody expects. 
The Buzz, Busby Berkeley musical tribute in Mel Brooks's History of the World Part 1, The Spanish Inquisition. It's got Iron Maidens. It's got red hot pokers being poked places. It's a bop. Just think about it without starting to hum and shimmy. I love this one because, of course, uh, these are two of my favorite Mel Brooks movies. And it also is a good uh, little subtle Monty Python joke in there because nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Yet another on-screen representation of a dungeon that might might be my one of my favorites. I don't I don't know if I would. Monty Python is not the type of thing I subject to anyone these days because it's very much of its time. But if you ever really want a good laugh, go watch the Spanish Inquisition. It's just one of the silliest things that I think anyone's ever done on screen. And uh, again, very unexpected. So those are some dungeons that will not be making the debate and some dragons that will not be making the debate. I just have to gently with love push back on your characterization of the the setting for the Spanish Inquisition Monty Python uh, sketch as a dungeon because there's like potted ferns and brightly lit windows <laughs> and pillars. Joanna, at, at one point they take out a, a rack, right? Which is but looks like it's from a dishwasher. But you people above ground. You know what I mean? Okay, like... so this is another question. Does it have to be <laughs> below ground? Just because it's a frilly living room in which the Spanish Inquisition unexpectedly shows up and begins torturing you with hilariously small devices? <laughs> <laughs> does a dungeon have to be underground? When does it stop? Like, <laughs> is your living room a dungeon? <laughs> it can be. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> First, I gotta set some McAllister <laughs> traps. <laughs> then it'll be right up there, my own dungeon. Yeah. So there, there you go. This episode is brought to you by Essentia. A better you starts with better hydration. Essentia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that's going to bring us to our debate. I'm going to keep forcing dice into this D&D podcast that I insist is actually a D&D podcast. We're going to roll to see who goes first. Joanna, would you like to the highest number on the dice to go first, or the lowest number on the dice to go first? Um, lowest first. Lowest first. So Joanna gets on a D20 an 18. Oh. Neil gets an 8. And oh. I get... 
A4. Hey, yes, hey. I get to go first. That really, <laughs> that really backs, backs it. <laughs> because in the, uh, if we actually did the, whoever won last week had to go first, it'd be Joanna and I would be comfortably last. But here I am <laughs> at the top uh, to tell you why I think uh, this particular scene in a movie represents my dungeon. I am picking Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I foreshadowed last week, and it led to Joanna's insistence that we not pick an overall dungeon, but pick a scene that represents a dungeon or and or a dragon. So if I had to pick a scene uh, that is indicative of the entire place, but also is going to hopefully look good enough on Twitter that people will vote for me without hearing how I won the definition of a dungeon on this podcast. I'm picking uh, the scene where Short Round saves a brainwashed indie right before Willie Scott gets her heart pulled out by Mularam in that fantastic area with all the thuggy cultists on one side of a river of lava with a machine that lowers captives down into lava <laughs> after their heart has been taken out and most importantly, the room that contains the treasure of the Temple of Doom that is the reason for Indiana Jones to go on this quest in the first place. Also, the slave children. But let's not worry so much about that. The treasure is right there in that main room in the sense of the three stones. So I'm going to pick the sequence where an Oscar-winning actor saves Han Solo <laughs> from brainwashing before a uh, cultist pulls out the heart of uh, Steven Spielberg's wife. So thank you very much. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Short round saves Indy. I think it includes a lot of things that are on everybody's definition of dungeons. It's underground. You've got restraints. The chains aren't in that actual room. They're down in the mines where they're mining for more treasure. Uh, but And you got a whole bunch of adventure uh, both in the booby traps to get into the mine and then the minecraft mine carts to get out of the mine. Uh, but those aren't the scenes I'm talking about. Uh, just think about that entire thing as a dungeon is what I'm asking for you. And uh, this is where our adventure to get out of the dungeon begins when Short Round saves Indy. Thank you very much for attending my uh, dungeon TED Talk. <laughs> I wouldn't kick this definition of dungeon out of bed. Like this is close enough, right? Like sure. there, there's a lot of chains, know, a lot of cages. Like yeah, I, I, I if if pressed, I would probably call it a cavern. But um, I'm happy to call it a dungeon. That is fine. Mm, I, mm, I okay, it. it's a All dungeon right. slash amphitheater because they also do a lot of chanting and hosting slash mine. <laughs> yeah. Mm, we'll come back to that. <laughs> oh, we're not going to use the mine as part of my dungeon. Very well. Uh, all right. I think next up, according to the role, would be Mr. Neil Miller. All right. Well, here's the thing, friends. I was acutely aware that I was going to be overmatched on the dungeon side of things in this particular debate because my expertise on dungeons feels limited, but might not be. We'll see. So I leaned the other direction, and I interpreted this prompt uh, as follows. If I'm not going to choose a dungeon, I must choose a dragon to be among my companions on a quest, to be in my fellowship. Well, who is the dragon that I would most like to have in my fellowship? So this week, it's not about winning. It's about friendship. <laughs> and it's about finding yourself a furry friend 
a very dog and cat-like dragon who will be loyal, who may, maybe from outer space, <laughs> and who, if you're being chased by the cops over a rural bridge in the Pacific Northwest, will roast their asses, <laughs> if necessary, on your behalf. I'm, of course, speaking of the dragon Elliot from the film Pete's Dragon. You can use whichever version you want. My favorite version is from the 2016 David Lowry film. To quote uh, the sage, Nicole Kidman, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. And it's one of those movies that (laughs) really allows me to simmer in both sadness and happiness, right? And uh, I love the specific scene that I would nominate would be the escape scene where Elliot has been captured by Carl Urban and the other uh, loggers who want to turn him into profit. And uh, he escapes on the back of a flatbed truck with the help of Robert Redford and a couple of kids. And it's just an incredible sequence. I would also like side nominate, I think the better dragon scene in that movie is one that does not involve the dragon at all. It's it's the sort of monologue that Robert Redford gives uh, to Bryce Dallas Howard's character about the magic of meeting the dragon for the first time. And I feel like when I watch that scene, I feel that way. If you could, you could substitute the word cinema in for dragon. And that perfectly encapsulates the way I feel about watching movies and, and experiencing the magic of filmmaking. So not only is it a great movie and scene involving dragons, uh, a fuzzy dragon that I would love to hang out with forever. It's, uh, it's also a little bit about my heart and my soul. So Pete's dragon. There you go. It's a I fun one. I love this movie. I love this movie. I don't, I don't have much of an emotional attachment to the original animation though we did talk about it in the Oscar song uh, podcast. But, um, I told you guys before we started recording, I like hard sobbed through this movie in the theater and have cried every single time after when I I hard sobbed it. earlier today when I watched yeah. this movie. <laughs> I love this movie. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's great dragon stuff. It's the movie where Disney should have been like, you know what? Maybe we are done with live action remakes. This is, we're never going to do better than this. We should stop here. And of course they did not. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going with the dragons. Um, can I read you a little section of an interview with director David Lowry of yes. Peace Dragon fame, right? Sure. The interviewer says, I was watching this movie and I was thinking to myself, whose cat is this based on? And David Lowry says, it's mine. And he said, your cat? He said, yeah. Uh, he has two cats and they were both the basis for um, Pete's dragon in this one. Um, Elliot, uh, they try to use, he tried to use his own cat's meows into Elliot's voice, but it didn't quite work. <laughs> and he said, but nonetheless, I'm a huge animal person and I wanted Elliot to just be a reflection of my desire to have giant 20 foot cats. Um, and then follow up uh, back to the toothless question. During the film's commentary of How to Train Your Dragon, directors Chris Sanders and Dean DeBlois, uh, along with producer Bonnie Arnold, revealed that toothless movements and body outline were based on one of the artist's cats. So, dragons are, by and large, cats. They are occasionally dogs. Mm. They mostly lean cat. Like, when you think about, like, the dragons in Game of Thrones and the way they, like, sleep, they look like cats. But uh, I think maybe that's why Pete's dragon speaks to me, because it's the one you can look at and be like, that's that could be a cat or a dog. Because there's very dog-like qualities to him, too. So, I love it. I don't know if I want to get involved in this. So, let's go to Joanna's <laughs> entrance for the host debate. Um, I'm going to take us kicking and screaming back into the uh, dungeon. 
<laughs> away from the dragon. Thank you, Neil, for representing dragons in this debate. Somebody um, had to. And I'm going to take you back to a territory that we three podcasters are very familiar with. Um, it is season four, episode seven, Game of Thrones, Mockingbird, written by David Benioff and Dan Weiss. Ever heard of them? And in it, one Tyrion Lannister is chained up <laughs> underground <laughs> in a dank location, otherwise known as the Black Cells. Uh, in Westeros after a disastrous trial and he is in need of help and in walks the handsomest Dornish prince that ever did handsome in a saffron robe. It is one Mr. Oberyn Martell and they have a conversation. Oberyn Martell and Tyrion Lannister have a conversation about how Oberyn Martell first met Tyrion when he was a baby and how much Cersei hated him even when he was a baby and Cersei promised Oberyn that she was going to show him this monster and when Oberyn finally saw Tyrion what did he say Neil? (laughs) That's just a baby. That's just a baby. That's not a monster. That's just a baby. Uh, Also that discussion involves the discussion of Tyrion's tiny pink cock. I would just like to put that on the record that apparently Cersei once pinched it so hard it almost came off. Great stuff. And all of this culminates... Super cool sister behavior. Yeah, Mm -hmm. really fine stuff. And despite the fact that Tyrion hates... uh, Despite the fact that Oberyn hates Lannisters, in fact, one of his first lines in season four is, do you know why all the world hates a Lannister, right? Um, despite the fact that he hates Lannisters, he decides that he will defend Tyrion in this trial by content. Content, oh my God, trial by combat. <laughs> <laughs> because it gets gives him a chance to have his own personal vengeance. Remember that topic from last week. So we've got trial by combat and Vengeance, and Pedro Pascal, all together in one mix, in a scene lit by the great Fabian Wagner, who, yes, went on to make some of the darker episodes of Game of Thrones, but this one is perfectly well lit by this beautiful torch that Pedro Pascal's Obermantel holds up as he says, I will be your champion. Um, And that is my submission for the greatest scene that ever took place in a dungeon. The end. This is an impossible one for me to argue against <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, mostly because you this, love this scene. This Neil, is... I've heard you quote this scene so many times. <laughs> this is also specifically related to this podcast, a scene that I think about once a week when I finally lock down what I'm going to pick. In my brain, I see him and I go, I will be your champion. Yeah. <laughs> I will be your champion, Elliot from Pete's Dragon. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's uh, this is a tough one because. It meets all the criteria. Um, we also, I, this is a good good one to mention that we also got some great emails about the other, some of the other dungeon-y, dragon-y scenes, the one where Tyrion lets out the two dragons, which is great, but it's nowhere near on the level of I Will Be Your Champion from Oberyn Also, Martell. someone suggested that the Sky Cells were also a dungeon. Yeah, I guess technically. Yeah. Well, per only three digit. walls, though. Do you have They're to have four? Ground. I mean, they're above ground. It has some danger, but does it have like some adventure? Sorry, I'm trying to look up uh, what floor of uh, the Red Keep is the the black, the black cells, cells on. Oh, they're all the way in the basement, baby. Yeah, they're underground, dude. Can't yeah. catch me on this. I mean, it has no doors and windows. <laughs> That's why they're called the black cells. 
But according to Wiki of Ice and Fire, it's on the the fourth, the third level. Okay. So I guess it goes down. Red Keep goes down. Honestly, it sort of changes with Thrones, right? Because in season one, when Ned Stark is in like the Black Cells, he's clearly in a very dark cave. But when you get to season four, when we get to Tyrion, he's in a little bit more of like a built, There's like some hay. a built thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but still qualifies, I think, as a dungeon. You could be changed the wall. There's a door. It's underground. Well, I mean, I think it water. definitely does because the the first part of that sentence is the Red Keep has four levels of dungeons. The third level is... <laughs> yeah, I guess we didn't account for how many levels of dungeons the castle has. Yeah. So is it underground? <laughs> I don't know. But there is... It was, they were strictly ordered while constructing the Red Keep to make four levels of dungeons. So it textually is a dungeon. So uh, I, I like that. I, I do want to I want to read uh, the line from our listener Reagan about the sky cells because it is like obviously an homage to Dave. He says, example, that weird Robin Aaron kid who was still breastfeeding as a preteen from his wacko mother had Tyrion Lannister thrown in the sky cells, which is technically a dungeon, even though it's not underground, nor does it have leaky water and mold like the black cells under the Red Keep. So. Yeah. Sure. I just <laughs> honestly, I just think it depends on how many walls you need for a dungeon. If it's four, it's a no. If it's three, sure. <laughs> I mean, here's the real important thing. Our host debate has split the dungeon definitions pretty much right down the middle. And we had a very long discussion about how to maybe define it. Thank you, everybody who wrote in in support of me. Now you could vote in support of me. But if you think dungeons are underground, damp uh, places with <laughs> chains uh, where people are just kept with no adventure that Joanna's Game of Thrones pick is an excellent pick if you think that qualifies. Yeah. And, it, and if you would, would like to opt out of the dungeon debate altogether, <laughs> just choose the fuzzy yeah. dragon. <laughs> well, let's figure out what our fourth is going to be. We've taken three listener responses and we have to narrow them down to one to join our two dungeons and a dragon. I will go first with Brittany. Brittany, I edited a little bit of your email just for time, but thank you so much for writing in. Brittany writes, I would like to humbly submit one of the greatest episodes of television, which happens to feature not one, but two dragons from one of the greatest, if not the greatest television show of all time, Cough Cough, not Game of Thrones. It's Avatar, The Last Airbender, Season 3, Episode 13, The Firebending Masters. I could immediately write an entire novel dedicated to my love for this show, but I think this episode is the perfect encapsulation not only of why this show is so incredible, but also dragons being motherfucking incredible. To save time, I will focus on the dragons of this episode. Reasoning, one, the visuals are truly stunning as Aang and Zuko are performing the dancing dragon with trepidation. Tension peaks as Ran and Shaw, i.e. the dragons, dramatically emerge from their caves. Ran and Shaw emerge from the depths of their caves to envelop Aang and Zuko in beautiful, psychedelic flames, showing the duo and the viewers that fire is more than a tool for pain and destruction. Two, what the dragons represent. There are several works in media that employ dragons simply because dragons are cool as fuck. However, the use of dragons in this episode in Avatar The Last Airbender is so much more than because dragons are so cool, although they are admittedly cool as fuck. Three, dragons were the original firebenders, not people. While some people choose to imbue the concept of firebending with hate and rage, there is purity in firebending. For Zuko, this is the moment of affirmation that it is okay for him as a firebender to be a good person. I don't want to necessarily talk about what happens to Zuko at the end of this arc in case you guys want to watch Avatar The Last Airbender. 
but I do also love this scene. The dragon dance uh, to relearn firebending is uh, amazing. And actually, all of season 13, Avatar The Last Airbender is amazing. Love some fire season. If you listen to this podcast at 1.5 speed, I hope you had a good time understanding Dave <laughs> through that email read. Um, yeah, it's a great pick. Phenomenal pick. Plus, it's our last dragon pick before we go back to the dungeons. So um, I, love, I love that the, the dragons that are even getting close to this debate is Pete's dragon and the animated <laughs> dragons from The Last Airbender. <laughs> Suck it, rain of fire, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or we can't believe that Joanna picked Game of Thrones and she didn't pick a dragon moment. Yeah, it's fine. It's great. I love it. Um, all right. Can I go next? Mm-hmm. Yes. We are back to Joanna's definition of dungeons as we go with Anders' <laughs> pick. Anders writes, it's underground, period. It's dark, period. It's dank, period. You definitely don't want to be there, period. It's acting as a prison cell, part of the Google definition of dungeon, period. The jailer is not right in the head and creeps you the fuck out, period. You are in the best scene that takes place in dungeons, Silence of the Lambs, and all you have to do is put the lotion in the basket. <laughs> this setting is an all-time creep show. Catherine Martin is scared out of her mind as she discovers the fingernail marks in the walls of her pit. Buffalo Bill shows his instability as he moves from calmly making demands of her to screaming, then imitating her own screams. The setting is a modern version of a dungeon in Bill's house, which acts as his own private, quote-unquote, castle and base of operations. It is so dirty, so grimy, and so scary that it sends shivers up my spine to this day. We got a, a number, this is Joanna speaking, we got a number of submissions for Sons and Lambs, but this is sort of the, the lengthiest um, and a great one from Anders. And it and it just like reinforces my definition of a dungeon, which I quite <laughs> like. So, you know. and, and honestly, it, it, it gives a few extra, uh, a little boost to Home Alone as a potential because if just the basement of a large house can be called the dungeon of a castle, then it's not just the the base. she's like in a pit That's inside true. of the basement. <laughs> I would probably call it a pit. a pit before I called it a dungeon, but still, she's in like a. I I was always, always thought of it as like a well, essentially. She's like down a well. Yeah, 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 definitely down a well. Tough. <laughs> Kev, Kev, Kevin McAllister could never. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't have enough time to dig a well. So Kevin McAllister does not give two shits about lotion. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah, that's true. He's also aftershave only. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just has a different kind of torture in mind for those sweat bandits. Uh, all right, I guess that means it's it's time for me, and this is going to be a continuation of Pat's email that we were reading earlier because I think Pat did a great job of both uh, defining dungeon and chose what I think might be the, the, the most four quadranty of choices from all of these. Here we go. For your consideration for best dungeon and dragon movie, specifically one with a dungeon, I am submitting the first, the epic first movie in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, Fellowship of the Ring. Tolkien's books were a huge inspiration to Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson in, in the creation of their groundbreaking role-playing game. And The Minds of Moria has always been cited as the Ur-Dungeon uh, adventuring environment, which I learned for this, is, Ur is the dark world in Dungeons & Dragons. It's just U-R, Ur. Oh, I think Ur just means like original sort of. Is it? The yeah. prototypical? The prototypical. Oh, all right. See, we're learning stuff about D&D all over the place. Platonic <laughs> ideal. Yeah, right? the platonic ideal. Of, all right. But, but like sort of the first. Yeah. Pat continues. Does it meet Joanna's stated four pillars of a dungeon? 
chains, yes. the dripping water, being underground, and you not wanting to be there? Maybe. Dwarves are good architects, so old Kazad Doom might not have been that wet, drippy, and moldy as Joanna imagines a dungeon to be, but I'll assume that the orcs have probably wrecked an aqueduct-fed cistern somewhere during the occupation of the abandoned dwarven fortress. It's clearly underground. It's filled with orcs, so they probably have some chains lying around if they need to secure prisoners. Gandalf would have rather walked over a frozen mountain than cut through Moria, so it's clear that you have to be have to have a compelling reason to be there, and you'd want to get out as soon as you can. The entire time the Fellowship were inside, there was an atmosphere of dread. The movie presents Moria as an enormously sized underground complex and provides a variety of escalating encounters, starting with environmental hazards in the form of dwarven corpses lounging over wells that foolish hobbits can't help but mess with that end up making noise and alerting the classic dungeon-dwelling belligerent responders, an Mm. endless number of orcs, Mm. and at least one Mm. formidable cave troll. It's doom, Joanna. Yeah, doom. <laughs> and that <Thank> escalates <laughs> even further. Best of all, there is an enemy so terrifying that the adventurers instinctively know that they can't face it. A Balrog, one of Morgoth's corrupted Maiar. The introduction of an unbeatable boss monster in a tabletop dungeoning adventure, one that the players thankfully recognize as something not to be messed with, is a classic dungeon master move, and the Fellowship of the Rings movie pulls that off perfectly. I humbly suggest that we honor this representation of the grandsire of all adventuring dungeon locations, the Mines of Moria, as presented in Peter Jackson's Fellowship of the Ring. Mines of Moria, uh, Mines, uh, it's in yeah. the name, technically. I don't know if you've heard, but they call it a mine. A mine. A lo- amazing email from Pat, always. Pat writes the best emails always, so like, I just want to say that before I start chipping away at his <laughs> excellent submission here, especially since he was trying to give me concessions, but uh, yeah, they call it a mine. Do they not, Dave? I mean, that's what's said in the thing, but did you not listen to the history stuff that Pat said? Like, it is the Ur dungeon. It happens, you're there, at least in the, the Fellowship narrative, they're traveling in it for days, which I think actually says that there is dripping water somewhere because it's not like they're going to drink somewhere. You know, we don't know where, things. but we can right. hear it. They're traveling in it for days. There are, in theory, treasures there, but they are uh, so deep at this point that they have awoken a gigantic monster that they have to flee from. I I think this is really getting towards four quadrants, uh, even if the name is the Mind of Moria. Here's how I'm envisioning someone who, and maybe we shouldn't pander to people who don't listen to the podcast, but here's how I'm imagining someone who doesn't listen to the podcast views this poll. The one dragon is freaking... Fuzzy Elliot from a, let's face it, not widely loved Disney film, a cavern uh, with Oscar winner Kiwi Kwan in it, uh, a mine, and a definitely dungeon. Like that. That's this is a this is a chaos ball, honestly. Because if if people haven't been here for a, like conversation about what a dungeon is. They're gonna look at them. They're gonna be like, "That's a mine. That's a cavern. What are we doing here?" Or those the double mines, you know? Joanna, what you're saying is that, like any great dungeon master, we have laid a trap, <laughs> which, which is that people are gonna be so confused by the Twitter poll, they're gonna have to actually listen to the podcast. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> here's the thing: if they're really focused on moments, I think Joanna is probably going to run away with it because. 
this if we choose the Mines of Moria, I'm guessing we're choosing Balrog. Like that would probably yeah, be the sure, most famous. Sure. I would say the Balrog is the captive in that dungeon. Yeah, or a young oh. cave troll, baby cave troll, forced to fight and gets killed by the by the fellowship. Uh, we could maybe pick that. If if people don't listen to the podcast and this is a Twitter poll, it's I, I I'm feeling very confident that both Indiana Jones and Fellowship of the Ring are going to attract enough attention to maybe beat Pete's Dragon and uh, Game <laughs> to of Thrones. Maybe beat Pete's <laughs> Dragon, Dave. Remember when I said this is not about winning; it's about friendship. I really meant that, right? <laughs> No, this is this is the emotional. Peace Dragon is definitely the emotional pick. If he wanted to pick a fuck off dragon moment, he would have picked Rain of Fire and Ma- Matthew McConaughey. Like, yeah, you know, Matthew McConaughey jumping, jumping off a tower with an axe at a dragon who eats ash. I mean, I think we agree with love that it's not going to be the Airbender. Um, we love Avatar. We love that sequence. We love this email from Brittany, but it's probably not going to be that. Silence of the Lambs might steal from my own submission, given it is closer to a dungeon situation. Um, so we could go fellowship. It's I mean, uh, I, I would I would be willing to give up Temple of Doom to get fellowship and airbender in there. I just sort of feel like then I'm giving my argument over from Temple of Doom to Mimes of Moria. Those are like parallel. Uh, if we think that's a better choice to have two two dragons and two dungeons, two dragons and two well, uh, technically three dragons, but yes, two dragon options and two dungeons. Uh, I I think as long as you give me one concession, which is if Minds of Moria wins, that's also my definition of dungeon wins. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, then I'm willing to do some diversity and give you know sage dragon versus cute dragon, and then maybe not a dungeon versus obviously a place you change people up. I think that's pretty clear. <laughs> so it's Balrog versus Elliot versus Zuko and Aang versus Pedro Pascal. That's our that's our poll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think. Chaos. I, I can't. I can't wait to see <laughs> how this works out. Yeah, guys. Next month, the prompt is so much clearer. We're just yeah. doing all Cage all the time. Just so the best, this is best this movie is. with Nicolas Cage in it. That's so simple. <laughs> Look, when we were planning, we had two great ideas, which was Zombies Cage entire months, and then we're like, well, what do we do in between that? And we're like, people like things, and we couldn't we couldn't narrow it down beyond that. But hopefully, you like the things because here is the. Final poll, uh, once again, throwing everything into chaos. We have Joanna, Black Cells, Game of Thrones, Mockingbird. We have Neil, Elliot's Escape, and Pete's Dragon. We have the Firebending Masters uh, from The Last Airbender from Brittany. And we have Pat with Fellowship of the Ring, Minds of Moria, Balrog. Uh, that is That is a chaos poll, but I'm very happy because vote Minds of Moria and vote correct dungeon definition. That's that's what I could throw my my weight behind uh, this week. Also, Two apologies to Indiana here. Jones, I guess. Tough break. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it, it is a tough break for Indiana Jones. <laughs> Luckily, you guys didn't probe me on uh, the rest of the plot around that particular dungeon, because you know what? Not that great. Nope. Uh, so <laughs> I... 
thank you very much for allowing me to give the TED talk. Uh, but I'm gonna give I'm gonna get some more dragons in this final poll, so it at least looks from the outside like this debate was about dungeons versus dragons. Uh, you can find our poll for the best on-screen moment featuring a dungeon and or dragon on theringer.com, at Ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find trial by content. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. Go Dungeons! <laughs> Nicholas Cage with me. Send them in. Yes. Next week, we will be starting our Nicholas Cage uh, trial royale, our cage match, as we're calling it. So if you want your favorite Nicolas Cage movie represented, uh, write in that movie and why to trialbycontent at gmail.com. Unless it's uh, National Treasure, uh, we've had enough of that. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, you could write it with National Treasure. <laughs> this episode was produced by Carlos Cheraboga, who plays D&D every other weekend. I'm so envious of that schedule. Mm-hmm.